Welcome back to the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, David London, and in this episode, you're going to learn how to transform your stress into productive energy and transform your mind. Would really appreciate if you could give us a five-star review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more people. And if you want to live pain-free and have two spots open for my mindset and mobility coaching, so send me a message on Instagram if you're interested in getting started. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. What up, guys? Welcome to episode 17 of the Desk Math Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, David London, and I'm here today with my good friend, Victor Pierre and Tony, aka Victor the Legend, aka Zen Stoic Master. What is up, Victor? What's up, man? Thank you so much for that intro. Yeah, man, gotta bring that energy. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is an absolute honor to be on your podcast. I know we've been talking about this for months, and I'm super excited that we're finally here so yeah for those who are just checking into the episode this is gonna be super hot fire so you want to listen all the way to the end awesome man so, so yeah um i know you've done a lot of like like coaching in terms of mindset and mm-hmm. lifestyle and stuff like that why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about like what you've done in the past and what you're currently doing with the, the zen stoic mastery and how it can pertain to a deskbound individual Yes. So I recently uh, created my company, Zen Stoic Mastery. And Zen Stoic Mastery is the combination of Zen Buddhism and Stoic philosophy. So for those who don't know what the two of those are, Zen Buddhism is an ancient sect of Buddhism that that was basically done in Japan. And Stoicism is an ancient Greek philosophy that prioritizes rationality, perspective, and logic to control your emotions. That way you're able to be a better human to the people around you essentially. So those are those two in a nutshell. And essentially the reason why it came up on those two is because for the last three years, I'd been working for one of the largest coaching platforms in the world. And I remember it was my dream job and I was doing very well with it in terms of getting more and more clientele to the point where I was actually coaching 95 people at a time, um, all kinds of different business owners all over the world. And while I had exceeded what my dream was, because I never dreamt of having 95 clients, that was a bit of a, a bit excessive to coach 95 people a week. Um, but while that was my dream, I got to a point where I myself was incredibly stressed, right? Every day I would help other people live their best life and control their emotions and manage their stress properly. And yet I was having all that stress pile up onto me. So I was pretty much taking on a lot of their emotional turmoil and processing it myself in order to help them and not even realizing that I was taking on a lot of that energy myself and it was causing a lot of stress and anxiety in my own life. So what I did for myself in order just to get away from that and to kind of restore myself back to feeling centered and feeling at my best is I actually started reading about Zen. And the reason I read about Zen is because I wanted to start meditating. And I knew that Zen meditation was the simplest form of meditation that essentially the whole goal of it is just to bring you into the present moment. There's nothing woo-woo or you know crazy cosmic or mystical about it. It's just about coming into the present moment and enjoying things as they are and being here. Not your head in one place and your body in another, but being just fully here as a human being. And stoicism was really interesting to me as well because it talked about using your logical mind and understanding how to process your emotions rather than allowing them to control you. So I would read, read about stoicism every single morning as part of my morning routine. 
and with a combination of meditating and learning about Zen as well as uh, reading Stoicism every day and journaling on what I would read, it started to come through my coaching unconsciously. And as it did that year, it was 2017. Uh, that year, I ended up being ranked the number one coach out of 120 coaches all over the world for this company. Um, and it was not because I was using the system that I was given. I was introducing a lot of concepts from Zen and Stoicism. So I realized, okay, well, obviously this is working. Obviously clients are giving you know, great feedback, which led to that ranking uh, of being number one out of the 120 coaches. So there's something here, but it's not one or the other that I'm using. I'm using both. And so that was kind of the birth of Zen Stoicism, which is my hybrid philosophy. And to put it as simply as I possibly could, Zen Stoicism is essentially integrating thinking and being. The Zen is all about relaxing into your being and walking your path. And the Stoic philosophy is all about using principles and structure to make sure that you keep yourself on your path and make sure you can bring yourself back on if you veer off, or I'd say when you veer off, because we all do. So that's essentially Zen Stoicism in a nutshell and where I came from and how I developed it. Yeah, it's pretty cool because even for a lot, for me and in, in my experience, like working the mindfulness, I find like when I did work at a desk job and even like now with the coaching I do, there is still sort of some kind of stress related components to that. And I found before, like I thought I was in the present moment, but really like sometimes you just tell yourself these things when people are like, oh, I meditated and nothing happened or I can't deal with my stress when really it's just like understanding the the underlying principles makes it, you know, like a lot easier to really get to that next level with your practice. Yes. It, no, it most certainly does. And the thing is just doing these exercises, like these guided meditations that, you know, you can find in apps or you can find on YouTube, just doing them without understanding the underlying principles of what they are and what you're actually dealing with when it comes to your stress can leave you feeling almost like there's something missing right? Like you feel good when you do the meditation, you feel good when you've listened to it and you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to go and take on my day now. But without understanding the principles of what it is that you did and why it, it made you feel good and how that relates with your everyday stress can sometimes make you feel like something is missing and like you can't r replicate that experience. And then people have trouble fighting with their stress, even though they do all these great rituals like meditation and visualization and all those things. So that, that's one of the things that it, just like you said, understanding where that stress comes from and being able to deal with it properly is, is really important. Yeah, and I know one thing you've really taught me is the concept of turning your stress into productive energy, where at first it kind of seems, you know, something that you're like, how the hell am I going to do that? The stress is you know, <laughs> it, it just stress and I have to cope with it. But from from what I understand from like what I've learned from you is it's 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 more than coping. It's kind of reframing almost. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the thing about stress and the whole idea of reframing the idea of stress into something that you can use for productive energy is on the basis that all emotions that a person feels that would lead them to stress. So you could call them, some people would call them negative emotions. I, I simply call them unpleasant emotions because I don't believe emotions are positive or negative. You just have emotions. You have the principle of emotional energy, which is a Zen Stoic principle, which states that there are no positive or negative emotions. There are emotions that may feel pleasant and emotions that feel unpleasant. And what those emotions are doing is they're giving you a message. And ultimately, what the message that they're giving you, let's say you have an unpleasant emotion that leads to stress, 
that emotion, what it's telling you is, hey, what you believe in your mind and what is true in reality are mismatched. If you have a pleasant emotion, it's the opposite. It's what you believe in your mind and what's in reality are matched. And that's it. It's as simple as that. So most of the time, the reason why stress gets people and people are unable to understand it or unable to deal with it effectively is simply on the basis that people are thinking that stress is something to get rid of when the reality is stress is just misguided emotional energy. That's the issue. And if you misguide that emotional energy, it's going to obviously make you feel stressed. It's going to make you feel anxious. And if you try to push it away, then you're not getting the message that that emotion is trying to tell you. So most people, they'll try to numb themselves or distract themselves from the stress thinking that, okay, well, if I just get rid of this, then it'll go away. I won't feel bad anymore. And that's true temporarily, but it's going to keep coming back because whatever you resist, you will persist. And so if you allow yourself to continue to resist those emotions, then they're going to keep coming back. But if you allow yourself to fully feel them, then they'll be able to melt away. And what I mean by fully feeling them is allowing yourself to get the message of, okay, what is this emotion, emotion trying to tell me? Like, what, what's the lesson here? And emotions dissolve when we replace them with lessons. It's pretty powerful. Like, like, wow. Like you can just, they dissolve with lessons and it's pretty cool, especially because you've taught me that you can find pivot points and being aware of those, those feelings and the messages. And and like, say, you you know, you're at work and you're stressed, you have a deadline, but instead of, you know, just like letting that build up into a chronic state of stress where it's going to be really difficult to change your emotional state. If you can just like sense that, unconsciously and then make a pivot point you can your day can go from being really bad to amazing just like so quickly it's crazy yes and i know i know you and i have definitely talked about that before and how to reframe the whole thing right because the stress let's say for somebody at work the stress is not the deadline the stress is what you're choosing to do relative to the deadline so if you're choosing to sit there and think about it then yes it's going to be stressful because that's not matching the reality of what you want to create. But if instead you choose to act and to create momentum or to leverage your resources or the people who could possibly help you meet that deadline, it's a different mode of focus. And one, one big thing with Zen Stoicism that works specifically or especially well in a corporate environment or any kind of professional environment is to understand that you cannot build on your stress and you cannot build on what you don't have. So one big thing that we do and what we talk about is the principle of taking inventory of your assets, which essentially means it's to ask yourself three questions. Number one, what resources do I have right now that can help me? And specific with the language, which ones can help me right now? Because you might have resources, but they may not all be useful in this situation. So that's the first question. What do I have? Most of the time when people are stressed at work or they're stressing over a deadline, they're not stressing over what they have. They're stressing, they're stressing about what they don't have. They're thinking about all the things that are not currently available to them. And that perpetuates that stress. The second question would be, what can I control right now? And that, that part of that principle comes from Uh, There was a great Stoic philosopher named Epictetus, and Epictetus, for most of his life, was a slave. And so when you're a slave and most of your human rights are taken away from you, you start to realize very quickly what you can actually control. And he created something called the dichotomy of control, which is that there are things you can control, and then there's things you can't. And you want to focus on what you can, 
let go of what you cannot. And the things you can control are your effort, your perception, what you think, what you say, what you do. And so that's another question we want to ask when it comes to taking inventory of our assets. What can I control in this situation? You have a deadline at work. What, what can you control? Which elements? Because most of the time, if you are stressing, you're focused on the things that you cannot control about meeting that deadline. But there are always elements you can, even if they're minute. That's where you got to start. And then the third one is what are my strengths that I can use right now? Knowing what your strengths are instead of focusing on the things that you're not strong with. So that's one of those those principles that you and I have worked on in the past and we worked on um, with the, the other students that we, we talked with that really helps you turn around simply by changing perspective. You know, and I find changing your perspective is huge, especially like in the, in the regards we're talking about, like taking inventory and focusing on what you control. A lot of people can find it hard to really even introspect and think of what they're in control because they feel like life's controlling them especially like if you're working a job you don't enjoy, you just, you're in a state of chronic stress. Like it's hard to even consider those questions, but again, you don't need to be perfect. To, to, you talk a lot about taking imperfect action and you don't need to, you know, like be perfect about what your strengths are or, or know exactly what you can control. But just by, you know, questioning and asking yourself those questions, you start to become better at taking inventory. And I find that can help with like just your overall, like way you feel like what you'd rather, you know, go to work and feel amazing all day and have that clear energy versus just like going and be like, Oh shit, I'm going to have no energy after work to do the things I enjoy. Where in fact, if you can, you know, change your perspective, you will, you will save that extra energy you had from, you know, thinking about stuff that doesn't really matter. That's out of your control. Yes. And it's interesting that you bring up people working jobs that they don't like and having stress from that. That is always a really interesting topic on the basis that uh, I'll I'll share this in the way that I use it Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. in my life. I use what I'm about to say specifically when I'm in a workout that is absolutely kicking my ass. When I'm in a workout where I feel like passing out or like I'm about to throw up, I always remind myself of this. And And I say this very simple phrase to myself in my own head. I chose to be here. And why that's important is because when we are in jobs that we don't like, if we are in jobs that don't fulfill us, what we need to remember if we're going to make any kind of change or progress out of that is to remind yourself that you chose to be in this job. It doesn't feel good, especially if you don't like the job, but we got to get very clear on what's real and what kind of choices we did make, which brings us to a principle called cause and effect. You are either at the cause of your life or you're at the effect. And you can be at the cause in some areas of your life and the effect at other areas. And basically what it is, is that if you are at the cause of your life, you are taking full ownership and responsibility of what you do and what the results are of that. And you are creating, you're in a space of creating opportunities, creating your own luck, so to speak. When you're at the effect, what you're doing is you're waiting on someone else. You're waiting on someone else's permission. You're waiting on someone else's validation. You're blaming others. Things are happening to you rather than you are creating things. And so anytime somebody has stress over a particular job or career choice that they made, the first thing to do is to shift into a position of cause. And it does not feel good necessarily because you don't want to think to yourself, I chose to be in this situation that I don't like and that's causing me all this stress. 
but it is simultaneously, even though it's uncomfortable, is one of the most liberating things you can do for yourself. Because then you put yourself back in the driver's seat. And that's, that's where progress begins, is to take that position of cause, reminding yourself, I chose to be here. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, this is probably one of my favorite lessons that I've learned because it's really taught me to, you know, to own my decisions and really like it. And you taught me, like, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day whether the decision you made was the right or the wrong one, as long as you own it. And that comes back to you being at the cause. I chose this route of action. You know, I chose to take that desk break. Therefore, I feel good versus I'm going to choose to, you know, just sit here and keep grinding the work, even though I'm not productive. Like, in every situation, like, if you can consider that you can also use it as a tool at least that's what i do to kind of plan my day like i choose to you know do something proactive in the morning because i don't want to be at the effect of you know feeling lazy all day etc and i find like you know this is one of the this lesson hit at least hit the hit home for me for sure yeah definitely it's it's one that needs a constant reminder. Like mm-hmm. i i still need to remind myself of this even though i teach it and like i coach with it I have to remind myself of this because when we get caught up in our own emotions and our own stress, it, it's hard to see these things. It's hard to see that you've made a choice to be here. And sometimes you don't want to step into that. You want to be like, no, I'm the victim. But as long as you think that way, you'll be in that same situation. As soon as you make the, the decision to say, I'm going to choose to own this, things start to change. How do you feel about the saying <laughs> that, that life happens um for you and not to you i mean i use that all the time so i use that in coaching i use that for myself i i view everything as a gift and an opportunity and specifically in the face of adversity and challenge i believe that challenges have much more to give you than they do to take away if you look at them correctly so if you're it and it all goes back to the where you're placing your attention If you're putting your attention on everything a challenge takes away from you, then you feel as though life is happening to you. If you instead put your attention on how this challenge is making you better, making you stronger, what opportunities it presents, then you'll have a very different view of it. And you'll start to view these challenges as gifts rather than things that are taking from you. There was um, this really awesome quote that I, I read there's, there's a guy on Instagram. His name is Marcus Aurelius Anderson. And I was like, first of all, super cool name. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> take a, I don't know if his, his middle name is actually Aurelius, but I like what he did there. Uh, and for those of you who don't know who Marcus Aurelius is, he was the ancient Roman emperor who was one of the biggest proponents of Stoic philosophy. He has a book called Marcus Aurelius Meditations. If you are interested in Stoicism, I'd say to pick that book up. That's a great place to start. Anyway, so he had a quote. Actually, no, this was a, not, not just a quote. This was a whole uh, blog article that, that he had written. And I remember reading it and just like randomly. And it said in there, adversity doesn't take away any of, what, of who you are. It takes away everything you're not. And I was like, that's really interesting. Because essentially what he was saying is that adversity strips away the pride, the ego, the selfishness that you have, the greed, the arrogance that you might have in a situation and brings you back into just who you are at the core of your being. And it gives you all these opportunities for learnings. If you prioritize treating your ego well in in the face of adversity, you'll blame other people. 
you'll try to save face. If you prioritize treating yourself well in the, safe, in, in the face of adversity, you will take ownership of those things and acknowledge what you need to improve or make better or, or make changes on. And so that's a really important distinction to have. So in order to kind of activate that saying, life is happening for you, not to you, I always recommend asking the question anytime you face any kind of challenge, what is the gift or what is the opportunity here? That question will make a massive difference in how you face any, any stressful situation for that matter. Because you have to believe there is a gift or an opportunity to even ask that question. Yeah, it's, it's really, really cool stuff. I, I've seen some of the stuff I think from you before, but I like how, how by asking these questions, you kind of give yourself the power back. And that comes back to what we said before, being in kind of control of your life. Whereas if you're very reactive and you're blaming your you know, external environment for your stress, or your relationship issues or your your pain if you're you know in pain from sitting all day but if you just you know ask yourself these questions you can again you can see the opportunity in all the challenges correct absolutely i think it's similar to like taking inventory it's kind of similar to when people you know are in pain is they focus on you know you know masking it and using temporary aids and things to kind of like oh my back hurts and use a bit of cream or take some pills whereas people don't take inventory, focus on what they control and, you know, choose to look at, like, look at, you know, changing their perspective instead of, you know, using these kind of crutches, whether it be for their fitness or just moving better in general, it can be, what can I do to, you know, get better long-term? What can I do to, to, again, feel good all the time instead of people just, I find a lot, at least a lot of people think meditation, all this like mindfulness stuff isn't for them just because, like they, it's just, I don't want to say this, but they feel like it's just like, it's something that they can't do, like to, to really question these decisions. Like they don't want to, they're kind of like at the bubble in. They feel like they don't live that kind of life. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I remember I, ha- I had done, I was doing a training and I recorded a video where I was coaching an individual who asked the question, how do I meditate? Because I always thought meditation was reserved for a certain culture, a certain religion. He's like, I'm not like a yogi. It always seemed like some, the, the, the phrase he used was hippie trippy stuff <laughs> to me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, that's cool. And basically he was asking me like, how do I incorporate this into my life? And this guy, you know, is a financial trader. He's, you know, does very well for himself, but has never uh, had any exploration into that world. And he never allowed himself to learn about meditation because his perspective of it was like, Oh, this isn't for me. And in a single conversation, we basically broke down exactly how you can meditate anytime, anywhere with whatever's going on. And it doesn't have to be anything religious or uh, overly over the top spiritual or mystical or anything like that. It's very simple. And this is one of the reasons why I was drawn to Zen and I'll explain it like this. There was a Zen philosopher, an American English philosopher. His name was Alan Watts. He, he was around maybe like 1970s, uh, a lot of his like lectures and talks. And Alan Watts is one of the people that I learn a lot from when it comes to Zen. And he said something once that was really important. And it, and it ties back into this point of 
people not thinking meditation is for them or thinking that for whatever reason they can't incorporate that into their lifestyle because they need to be this certain kind of person. In this guy's particular case, he was like, I'm not like a yogi or like a super spiritual person or anything like that. So he had said this and this completely blew my mind and helped me really understand Zen. And he's like, it's not spiritual for you to be peeling potatoes and thinking about God. He's like, it's much more spiritual if you just peel the potatoes. Whoa. (laughs) Now, why is that? Because at least from a Zen stoic perspective, the way that I teach it is that the highest degree of spirituality a human can experience is to be in the human experience, to be doing whatever it is that you're doing. There are people who are very spiritual who never use the word spirituality. They're just very present. They walk their path and maybe they never meditate at all in their life. But ultimately what you want to remember is that the whole point of meditation is to bring your mind and body into the present moment. That doesn't have to be sitting down in a lotus position with a bunch of ohms. Doesn't have to be that doesn't have to be for 45 minutes. It can be like we do in Zen Stoic, a micro meditation. One to five minutes. Get into the present, get into the zone, bring yourself here. But the whole point of meditation is to simply be in the present with whatever it is that you're doing. And anybody that tries to sell you this idea that because they're spiritual, because they believe in all these big flowery concepts, that they are somehow holier than thou is exhibiting what is called spiritual egotism, where they essentially think they're better than you because of how spiritual they are, which is self-diminishing as, as an idea. So if there's anything for people who are listening to this, like, oh, meditation is not for me. Yeah, maybe not sitting in a, maybe sitting in a lotus position and doing kinds of weird things with your hands and doing ohms. Maybe that isn't for you. Maybe that's not your meditation. Maybe your meditation is walking your dog. Maybe your meditation is cooking. Maybe your meditation is simply listening or playing some music. Whatever it is that brings you to the present moment where you are just doing that thing and nothing else and the rest of the world disappears, that's a meditation. Yeah, and I find also a good way, especially for people who are working at the desk, is to just take some time throughout the day, whether it be in the morning and during your morning routine, we'll get to that in a bit, but, or even during your lunch break to just completely disconnect, put away the computer, pour to the phone, just go for a walk, take some deep breaths and really just, especially a lot of people are with technology, but taking that time away, just finding a way to, to ground yourself, whatever activity, as you said, get you that effect of coming back into the presence can really energize you and help you get over that, you know, afternoon blues when you're at work. And just really help you be like, wow, I feel great. And then go back and then kill it versus, you know, just like scrolling or, you know, just doing nonsense stuff because you're just going to get your brain thinking the wrong way once you do have to go back to work. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's the whole idea, like what you just described is the whole idea that you and I have talked about Mm -hmm. when it comes to clearing the slate. Like you've built all this emotional angst over all the work that you're doing and all the pressure that's on you clear the slate, like wipe it clean for a moment, <laughs> take, take a moment to yourself and then get back into whatever your day is 
going to entail? Yeah, one of the biggest things I learned during my yoga teacher training was that nothing can really affect you if you don't hold on to it. And it's a similar concept that of just like, you know, just letting go and accepting that like, look, this I had this bad conversation, there were these bad vibes, but if I let go of them, then it can't truly affect me. Yes, exactly. The in Buddhism, it's talked about how the root of all suffering is attachment. And that's precisely what it is that you're saying. The things that can affect you negatively are just the things that you hold on to and attach to. Now, I think it's worth explaining the Zen Stoic idea of self-awareness when it comes to attachment because a lot of people will hear that and it sounds good, it sounds profound, but they're like, well, what is it to be attached? What does that even mean? Attachment essentially, in a nutshell, is any time that you associate your identity to something or someone for, self, for a feeling of self-validation, for feeling as though you are enough. And the way that we teach self-awareness when it comes to Zen Stoic is there is the self and there's everything else. The, self, the true self is the part that notices and observes and experiences your life. It is this shapeless, colorless entity that is simply your awareness. It's your consciousness, if you will. Everything else we call an object. So self-awareness is to understand the subject-object relationship. Subject is I, the part that's aware. Object is everything else. Thoughts, emotions, people, places, things, events, memories, anything that you can put your attention on is an object. The easiest experience to understand this is to remember what it's like when you're watching a movie that you're really into to the point where you start feeling the emotions of the character. Like they're about to do something embarrassing. You cringe for them. They do something great. You feel like you've done something great. They're in a scary situation. You get scared for them. You are perceiving through that character in that moment. That is what's called object consciousness. You are focusing so much on that object that you start to perceive everything through that object. We do this when we're not watching a movie, obviously. We do this with our own identity. Our identity becomes our attachment. What we believe we are and the things that we need to validate that belief are the attachments that cause us that angst. And a lot of it is illusions. A lot of it isn't true necessarily. And we want to come back to the truth and know how to self-validate without having to attach to so many things. Now, I'm not going to say any one human being is going to be completely unattached. We're all attached to something. It's about noticing that you are. And when you do notice, making the decision to either stay attached or to break away and fulfill that with a new lesson, if you will. But a negative or an unpleasant emotion only has power when it can associate to a self. In other words, when you're making it about you. It's like a parasite. A parasite needs a host to survive. An unpleasant emotion needs a host to expand and survive. When you make it about you, lack the self-awareness and you're object conscious to your problem, that's what's going to happen. You will feel that attachment, that unpleasantness, that suffering. That's pretty deep stuff right there. And attachment, there's good attachments and there's bad attachments, but from what I understand, you're talking about, again, being aware of 
that attachment and then the effect and the impact it's having on your life. Cause again, not, mm-hmm. they may not all be bad, right? Like I, I, some people can be, you know, attached to going to the gym every day or attached to listening to their favorite song or, you know, attached to drinking too much coffee. There can be some attachments that are, you know, you choose them and they're can be good for your life. And there's bad ones like, you know, making excuses then, and just living very reactively that you can, those are attachments as well. Yes. And again, trying to be unattached to everything is an attachment in itself. Yeah. You're attached to the idea of unattachment. (laughs) So there's no real like getting away from it. It's just about being conscious to it. An attachment I would say is a bad attachment when you are mindlessly doing something that is sabotaging you. It's a good attachment when there's something that you really value and that you care about that you want to create, like being attached to your family and making sure you take care of them and protect them. Like that would be a good attachment. If you're completely unattached as a human being, you won't be able to relate to anybody. So it's more about being mindful and aware of what you decide to attach to and ensuring that it doesn't become this mindless thing that no longer serves you. That's when it becomes a problem. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And it's, again, I think it'll take you out of the present moment. If you're always thinking about your attachments, sometimes you just gotta, you know, like as, as um, Guns N' Roses said, just live and let die, you know, just be in the moment. That's right. <laughs> and, and, you know, when I started my meditation, I, I was in that spot where I would do it. I was like, yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm going to meditate every morning. So, you know, I would do it. And I was like, why did I feel it some days? Why do I not feel it some days? And I'm starting and through your help, I've gotten to the point where with the micro meditations, which we'll get into in a bit, um, it's not that you, the meditation doesn't work. It's just, it's not like a, it's not like a, a one hit kind of wonder. It's not like you're just going to have a bunch of sugar and get a lot of energy. It's something, it's a, it's kind of like a mental cognitive state that you have to kind of adapt and work through and kind of roll with the punches throughout the day. And then mm-hmm. also anticipate when you need energy, the type of activity you're doing. So like it can be discouraging if you're just, you know, interested in getting started with your practice or you've been in it for a while and you're just like, Oh, I'm just, it doesn't really do anything for me anymore. It can be hard to, you know, incentivize doing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's just how you look at it, right? If you can do your, it differently, you can like the way you've taught me, that you can really get what you're going for at any point throughout the day. And I find it yes. really, really fascinating because we always think of, again, just because you're thinking about how you're going to feel later doesn't, isn't taking you out of the moment. You're still, mm-hmm. you're still present because complete 100% presence isn't always, I'm not going to say a, a good thing, but like, like you don't want to be so in the moment that you avoid freaking everything and all your responsibilities. Yes. So there's, there's a there's a fine balance there. Correct. It's and it's it's great that you bring that up because Zen stoicism is to live in the present moment with the appreciation of a potential future. To understand what what you're doing in this present moment, what it's creating and where it's leading. And that's one of the the little distinctions that I always keep in mind when it comes to talking about the philosophy and and how it works. It's not just being in the present. It's not just planning and structuring yourself in the future and being super logical. It's understanding that those two things are part of the, or two sides of the same coin. 
live in the present with the acknowledgement, the appreciation of the future that you're creating at this moment. And again, finding your Zen, your presence, your happiness, like these are all fleeting states. They're not constant. And if you try to hold on to it, it goes away. If you just let it be and you relax into your being, relax into your path, it's much easier to be present more often. Yeah. One thing I do is once I am in that state, I try to really like, see like, how do I feel right now? Like, like not, not, not just like feelings, but like, how does my body feel? I really try to try to welcome it. That way I know very easily if I'm kind of drifting away from the vibration I want, because there's a lot of like things like that can trigger you where it's like, like, like someone like just like external noise or just a lot of things can trigger you. But even like for mm -hmm. me, like, for example, this morning, like I woke up, I didn't, I didn't go right into a meditation, but I just started with some, you know, light movement, deep breathing. I was, I was just doing dishes and breathing and just trying to be in the moment. Cause one thing I've been practicing recently, I believe we talked about this was not multitasking. So, and how much faster you can get things done by kind of not doing two things at once. So I was mm -hmm. just kind of like doing the dishes, cleaning up, getting ready to meditate, but I was still going just through like a vibe and a flow so I was kind of already getting into that state. Yes. So it could even be, you know, while you're on the bus on your way to work is to just do one of these, you know, micro meditations or the, for me, I usually today was an outlier, but the second my kind of feet hit the floor, I just take a few breaths and mm -hmm. otherwise, cause I find at least if you, the farther you push it off, the harder it is to create that morning routine. Yes. And, and I like the fact that you brought up morning routine because when we're talking about attachment, this is one that is so prevalent, especially in our time today, how a lot of influencers and gurus will talk about the importance of a morning routine. And I don't disagree with the importance. However, what I do disagree with is when people will mindlessly do things as part of their morning routine, thinking to themselves that, if I just do this, then I'll be able to be happy or succeed or have more energy, whatever the thing, whatever the outcome is that they're attached to. When you mindlessly just engage in morning routines that you see online or whatever the case is, and you're doing it because that influencer said, this is the best morning routine or like, this is what you should do. At the end of the day, you're missing the point. I think the best morning routine is not necessarily the longest one. It's the one that allows you to be you whatever it is that you need to do in your morning routine. I remember I had a client who she was a very high level coach herself. She managed an entire coaching division in Indonesia and she was having trouble with this morning routine. She was having trouble being as productive as she possibly could be because her mornings were a mess. And she's like, yeah, I've tried, you know, the, the one that this person said, and then the one that this person said, and like, I can't seem to stick to any of them. I'm like, do you like doing any of those things? And she's like, no. I'm like, what <laughs> do you like doing? Like, what puts you into the present that you really enjoy? She's like, I like singing. I'm like, when's the last time you sang? She's like, when I was a teenager. I'm like, okay, so what if you sang for five minutes in the morning? I'm like, what if you tried that for a week and just tell me what, what that's like? She did. Her mornings were completely different because she wasn't doing what somebody said was a good idea. She was doing the thing that resonated with her. She was doing the thing that 
made her feel like herself. And Zen Stoicism is not trying to make anybody different. It's allowing people to relax into themselves and have the principles and the structure to stay there and not get not veer off that path. And when they do veer off, I say when, not if, when they do veer off, understanding how to come back to yourself. Yeah, it's, it's super, super powerful. And then you, there's no exact structure for what your morning routine needs to look like. But I say like, especially for people who are going to sit all day, just getting into a routine and doing something you enjoy in the morning can actually make it so much better when you get to work. Because if you spend all your energy on stressing out throughout the day, you're going to have no mental energy to think. When you do go work out at the end of the day, you're just going to be so fried. You'll be like, and it's going to be so much easier for you to make those excuses. And I've had a client like that where he would just be like, you know, I'm just so mentally drained at the end of the day. I can't work out because I can't think about having good form. I'm just exhausted. So, you know, we got him into a, a different routine. So it, mm-hmm. he, he can save that energy because I think what you've taught me, correct me if I'm wrong, but you only have a finite amount of energy or, or decision willpower each day. Yes. Yeah. You burn energy every time you make a decision or try to do any problem solving. Um, so that, that's where I learned to schedule, especially when I worked uh, and had 95 clients, coaching clients at a time. If I had, I used to start coaching in the morning, like it was like 7am, like I'd start and I'd like go all the way through the day from seven to five. And I was like, I was getting a lot of great results for people with it. But then when I tried to go work on my own projects and my own business afterwards, there was like no chance of getting me to do that. I was done by the end of the day. Like, because I had been problem solving all day for other people. And so, so when I got to that point, there was like, there was nothing less. There, there was no, no more willpower. So what I do is I reserve that willpower and that decision-making ability for the problems I need to solve that allow me to grow in the direction that is important to me. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. So the direction that's important to you. Yeah. Cause you got to take that, that time. That's why I feel like, a lot of people who do work desk jobs, I feel like we need like a societal change. People should just, you know, work more flexible hours, focusing more on getting something done versus a lot of times when I worked as at a desk job as a, when I was making websites, I would just like, I'd be done my work in two hours, but I would just sit there like going through social media just because I did all my work. But we have this view that you need to sit all day or you're not productive when in reality, if we worked more flexible, if people were allowed to take midday breaks, to take workouts, then we get a hell of mm-hmm. a lot more done in such a you know, short period of time. And I feel like it kind of contributes to our kind of sitting culture is that you have to always go hard and then you can't focus on yourself. And a, yes. lot, a lot, there's also a little bit of a, like some stigma around, like I try to educate people that, you know, you can stretch anywhere and it doesn't really matter what people think about you because if you only, you know, care what people think about you, then, then what do you think about yourself? Right? So go right. ahead, you know, do those stretches at your desk and don't care. What exactly. People- <laughs> Nobody's going to look at you and be like, Oh, oh what are you stretching? <laughs> What's wrong with you? And then later gossip about you. Like, Oh, that Karen, she stretches during the day. What an idiot. Like nobody's <laughs> going to do that. <laughs> like, yeah, but it, it, so, comes, it comes up, but yeah, just don't be afraid. Absolutely, no, it, it absolutely does come up, right? Because many people, they do fear the opinions of others. And it's a normal thing as a human being. 
I'm not going to, I'll be the first one not to say, oh, who cares what people think? Like, just don't think about what people think. For the record, every human being cares what, cares what people think. Those who don't, who have like zero care for what people think, are either disconnected from society or they are in jail or in an insane asylum because there's no level of social intelligence there. There's a certain degree that we need to care what others think in order to be socially intelligent. The, the key is understanding not to allow the opinions of others and what they think to stop you from being you, from being at your best, from being a good person, from being a person that you can look in the mirror and be proud of. That's the distinction there. Because most people, they just want a blanket statement like, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks. Like, yeah, you do. That's why you're saying that. <laughs> you want people to think that nobody cares what you think or whatever <laughs> the, the phrase is. There is a certain degree to it, but it goes back to the same idea like attachment. So if you're thinking to yourself like, oh, people are going to judge me at work for getting up and stretching. Like maybe, but they're going to judge you because they don't have the courage to do that. So judging you makes them feel better, but it doesn't take away from you. And maybe, who knows, maybe you might inspire somebody to get up and stretch with you. If they give you a funny look when you're getting up and doing your stretches, invite them to join you. Like you could probably use a stretch yourself. Why don't you join me? Now you have multiple people stretching. Yeah. And then you can, you know, introduce some of those partner stretch videos that I share. And then I, then it really comes full picture, you know, really getting like changing the environment of your, where you're working and just really trying to, you know, be open about it and educating people on the benefits of moving more can really incentivize it because they're going to see how much more energy you have. You're not going to, you know, need that afternoon, you know, donut and a coffee just to mess around with your energy levels. Whereas if you can just, you know, move around because, what happens is a lot of times, you know, when you, you have people will, they'll eat at their desks and, you know, something to give them a little, little bit of energy to get going and they'll have a, you know, a coffee, which is just mm -hmm. going to, again, going to mask those fatigue symptoms. Whereas if you can move around and breathe and be aerobic, you're going to get oxygen to your brain and you're going to feel so much better. Imagine if you combine those two, you move around and you have a coffee. Powerful. There you go. Absolutely. Powerful. And again, it's the thing that we want to remember is that at the end of the day, as much as someone might be thinking about what other people think, nobody actually has time to think about what you're doing and judge you all day. It's so true. They just don't. Like, they're focused on their own stuff. If they do think about you and judge you for a moment, it's not going to go that long. They're going to do it for maybe like five, 10 minutes. And then they're going to go back to focusing on all their stresses and problems that they have in their life. They're not investing all that thought into you, which is a good thing. It's a liberating thing to think that nobody really cares. And I just got to do what makes me happy and what allows me to be a better person to the group around me, to my community, to my family, to the people that I love. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, again, we, coming back to, we only have so many decisions we can make. Like, most of the time you might, we, we make these assumptions that people are thinking about us or that someone's judging us, but really just, again, it's, it's, it's our own kind of, we're telling ourselves these stories and these stories we create is making our own stress. And it doesn't matter. The body interprets it the same, whether it's 
you know, physical stress or psychological. It's you just gotta stop telling yourself these stories and just do one of those micro meditations, which we're going to talk about in a second and then get back into the moment. Yes, absolutely. Cause they're at the end of the day, they're either excuses or there are results. You can have one or the other. You cannot have both. And you can have an excuse as to why you don't do the stretches at your desk <laughs> or you can have the results of either feeling your pains, feeling your tension, feeling your tightness because you didn't do them, or you can have the result of feeling energized, feeling limber, feeling the stress leave your body as you do those stretches. Yeah. And just as an example, like it, this is where about, almost 45 minutes into this episode and I've been standing for the last 20 and I'm even meditating while I'm standing here while Victor's talking, taking a few breaths. So it doesn't need to be, you know, overly complicated. I'm just, you know, trying to slow myself down. Cause I found like sometimes after talking too, your brain goes faster. So by even slowing down and thinking you're even with, say you are stressed, just trying to slow down your thoughts and take that breath. And then, and then I feel at least for me, like if I can slow down, I can, they can feel a lot clearer. Yes. So it Definitely. doesn't always need to be perfect. And then that comes into the, the micro meditations. Yes. Okay. So that's, uh, that's the thing that we've been focusing on mm. mainly when it comes to Zen Stoic lately. Um, so one of our first products outside of just one-on-one -on -one coaching um, has been what is called micro meditations, which is something that you know, David has been through and has been mentioning throughout this podcast, um, which I, I appreciate you doing so because because <laughs> it's uh, definitely something I'm super excited about. So basically, uh, for those of you who don't know what a micro meditation is, it is a meditation that is designed to be done in one to five minutes. It's not a 30 minute meditation or anything like that. It's not going to take up your entire morning or evening or whatever the case is. They're simply designed to meet you where you're at, whether you are in a busy street or you're in a very tranquil space, doesn't matter. Wherever you are, whether there's people there, whether there's, you're in public transit or you're in the car, doesn't matter. The idea of a micro meditation is to meet the user where they're at and allow them to create their own journey. And what I mean by that is this, because the meditations are so short, we do all different kinds of them. So there are some that are very focused on breath work. There are some that are focused on visualization, but they're not just the common calming meditations. There are both calming meditations and high energy meditations. So all the meditations are based in Zen and Stoic philosophy, especially in the high energy meditations. There's a lot of Stoic philosophy that gets discussed in those meditations, things that, that prime a person for their day and allow them to carry with them a philosophy that essentially contains those principles that help keep them on their path. And David, I mean, like you, you've been through every single micro meditation challenge since we started. Um, so like, I mean, what, what has your take been on it since, since the beginning? Honestly, it's been, I guess, two or three months and it's been great to kind of be able to realize what kind of energies I'm capable of tapping into and knowing some work better for me some days, some don't, but also kind of identifying patterns and keywords and key messages that I can hold on to throughout the day and kind of like tap back in, for example, you know, when I'm stressed, just, you know, embrace the discomfort. That's like one thing I'd like to, you know, remember. And when I feel like the day's owning me, I'm like, no, I'm going to own the day. And just like 
taking key messages and trying to, you know, use them as my pivot points. And even just the fact that I'm actually feeling that the meditations are working, like, because they're so short, you can, you're not investing so much of your effort and your mental resources into it, but you're, you're doing that. You're feeling good. And then, you know, midday, you can do another one. That's what I do. You know, during my desk breaks, I've talked to Victor. We've worked, I've worked, I do like a, 25 minutes of working five minute meditation go back to work kind of thing move around so it kind of i find it it, it's, it definitely allows you to get the vibration you want and really get grounded whereas and then using those tools to be able to tap into that energy all the time just like i'm like i feel i'm meditating right now all 100 percent. Yeah. whatever brings us back into into this present moment and whatever it is that you need in that moment is essentially what a micro meditation is designed to give you. Like if you need to calm down, you need to relax. It has your back. <laughs> It'll give you that. If you need high energy, you got to get focused. You got to get centered. It has that. You and again, to, to just, just to clarify for everybody, the high energy meditations are not like some motivational video that you find on YouTube or anything like that. It's not rah, rah. It's, more just helping you get into the zone by focusing on the correct things that allow your best self to come through in those moments within a few minutes. And it's really cool. And I've been, you know, teaching a lot of my clients who do work desk jobs about like doing very short, simple meditations. And they're, 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 they're feeling a lot more productive. And I've only just started teaching them like similar ways they can do micro meditations. But even the principle alone is, is, is going to reframe how society views meditation. Because one thing people understand is if you jump into, you know, a 10, 15, 20, 30 minute meditation and you've never started, then you're going to, I find is if you do do that right away, you kind of, you kind of get too calm and too relaxed and sometimes can make you very introverted. If you just jump into, you know, an hour, half an hour meditation, it can kind of, I wouldn't say numb you, but it's, it can be a little too powerful at first anyway. So, you know, lead you into a nap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that's where we got into, you know, stacking the meditations and with what you need versus doing, yeah, taking a nap. Cause you don't want to be sleepy at work. Yes. So I like that you brought that brought up the stacking of the meditations because um, basically the, the way that these, this micro meditation challenge is done, it's a 14 day challenge. And every single day, the students in the program, they get two meditations. They get one calming energy, one high energy. In this last round that we did, it was a morning and an evening. So it's slight variation, but basically by the end of it, there's 28 meditations that you've downloaded from whatever challenge you did. And you don't, you're not bound to just do one a day or two a day. You can create your own experience because they're all different, right? Some of them have breathing in them. Some don't. Some of them have creative visualization in them. Some don't. Some are just hard hitting and, you know, a, a lot of stoic philosophy just to get you focused and in the zone. And then some don't. So the idea of what David was just talking about when it comes to stacking the meditations is to create your own experience. Like I really like this one because of the breathing. I like this one because of the visual. I like this one because it gives me a lot of energy and hypes me up. So stacking all three of those together and creating your own experience. And that's the whole idea of, the micro meditation. That's the whole idea of Zen stoicism. Zen stoicism was not made to be something dogmatic where people just follow the principles blindly and allow the principles to dictate their actions and 
be just regurgitation machines. Zen Stoicism was designed for the user of it. And it doesn't matter if you're of a, a specific religious background or political affiliation, whatever the case is. I mean, like I have people who are Jewish, who are Christian, who are Muslim, who do Zen Stoicism, and it helps them be better in whatever it is that their lifestyle is and whatever their commitments are. So it's all about meeting the user of it where, where you are. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. Like uh, one of my clients actually from back in Toronto, he messaged me this week and he's like, he's like, you know, I never saw you teach yoga. We will just some context. We were talking about asking if he did meditation because he was just a mobility coaching client. Cause he said he was a little stress. So I told him a little bit how I do a little bit of mantras when I was teaching yoga, but then he, he never actually went to one of my classes, but he's like, you know what, when I first met you, I could tell that you were on a deeper like conscious level, just the way you, you presented yourself. And I thought that's pretty cool. Cause it's, it's not really something I try to, you know, to fake it or try to, to show up like that. It just, I just, maybe I was grounded that day. Maybe that's just how I am, but uh, you know, it's, it's not overthinking it and just, accepting i guess what benefits you have and the effects you have from the meditation but it's pretty cool that people can kind of sense that you're, you're more chill because that's going to welcome a lot more people with that energy into your life yes 100 percent. and those who are not of that energy and who are more or less abrasive won't have as much of a, an abrasive effect on you if you are able to create that energy on a regular basis yeah, it's super, super cool stuff. I still use the, the micro meditations and I feel like there's definitely going to be some, some, some collabs in the future for, for some desk worker micro meditations. That'd be pretty cool. Kind Absolutely. We, we, we can create a whole series for the desk worker. Yeah, we'll have to work want. on, a, on a, <laughs> a challenge or something. It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it'd be a really cool thing, especially for people specifically in the situation of being, of working at their desk. Um, to have a, a specific meditation for their situation to be able to bring out the best in them and help them progress to wherever they want to be. Yeah. Again, um, one thing is that I find is, is so big is just people just need to give it a try. Like a lot of people just like, they're just complacent where they are, but if you just give it a try and you take those steps, you can really see like a lot of my clients were like, why should I meditate? I'm like, you guys don't meditate, but you can't take it for granted. So, you know, if you're out, if you're listening to this episode and someone you care about and you love doesn't understand the benefits, well, maybe, you know, send them this episode, teach them a little bit what you learned today and just be open to, now I talk to, you know, a lot of people about meditation, but I'm not the type to, you know, to be like, Oh, it's like, it's amazing. I'm, I don't want people to know I do it just because I say I do it. I also, you know, take that time, practice it and let it kind of naturally exchange how you feel about it yes absolutely so that that's a a good way to to put it is it's not just this thing that you got to be afraid of it but it's pretty much something that will allow you to just get into your own space bring yourself back into your own center just by practicing it and giving it a try awesome so do you have any last advice for you know deskbound professionals and uh letting them know also where they can find you Last minute advice. All right. <laughs> so I would say one, one of the most important things, uh, if you take away anything, is to remember to focus on what you can control more than anything else. If you can learn to focus on what you can control and understand 
that principle of emotional energy to understand that pleasant emotions are telling you that, hey, things are good. What you believe in what is, they match. And unpleasant emotions are, are showing a mismatch. If you can remember that and to focus on the things that you can control in order to listen to those messages and action them, then you'll be in good shape. It'll allow you to either enjoy your work more if that's what you seek to do or make a change into a different field of work if that's what you seek to do. But whatever it is, if you begin to listen to your emotions with a sense of appreciation and for what they have to tell you and then focus on what you can control to action whatever they're trying to tell you and do something about it, that it would be the first step for anybody. So um, hope everybody enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to find me or, or reach out to me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Victor Pierantoni. I'm on Facebook under the page Zen Stoic Mastery. My Instagram is Zen Stoic underscore V. And feel free to, to reach out to me anytime on any of those platforms. If you're interested in doing a micro meditation challenge of the 14 day challenge, feel free to either reach out to me on one of those platforms or reach out to David directly and we'll get you hooked up. So I hope, hope everybody enjoyed this episode. I'm incredibly grateful for anybody who's listening right now and to, you know, listen to listen to this conversation that david and i put together here yeah for sure so if you do join one of those challenges i'll personally be there with you along the way and you can you know get to know me on a little bit more vulnerable level so it's really powerful and we'll thanks so much for for coming on this episode absolutely man it's been it's been my honor and i would love to do another one in the future someday soon and have you on the zen stoic podcast oh, absolutely <laughs> So the biggest takeaway, guys, focus on what you can control and own your freaking life. Bless up. That's right. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you.